discuss them with a bit of a grain of salt here from your virtual bartender because clearly I was drunk when I was uh, <laughs> making them. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 147 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar, but on this weekly podcast, I chat to the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums that I've met on my 20-year journey from sysadmin to CMO to share practical experience and advice that we call marketing street knowledge. Come say hello. You can find links to me, my guests, and all that we talk about in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com and via Rockstar CMO on the socials. It's New Year's Eve 2022. I hope you've had a good week. You enjoyed the holidays. You are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. A big end of the year show this week. I catch up with speaker and author of Winfluence and now EVP Marketing at Scipio, Jason Falls, who was on the show this time last year. On the topic of influence, I have a really fun chat with analyst relations expert Beth Torrey. And I wind down the year in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and his predictions for 2023. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, my regular collaborator, Jeff Clark, continues to enjoy his holiday. This week, I catch up with Jason Falls, who I had on the show exactly a year ago for episode 95, the first show of 2022. I've followed Jason for years. He's an award-winning strategist and widely read industry pundit, the author of three books, including Winfluence, and has a podcast of the same name. He's been recognised as a top influencer in influence marketing, social media marketing, and technology by Forbes, Entrepreneur, Advertising Age, and others. And more recently, I got to collaborate with him and over 30 podcasters when he founded the Marketing Podcast Network. And as you'll hear, has been recently appointed as Executive Vice President Marketing at Scipio. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Jason, back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Ian. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. And you had good holidays? I did. Uh, you know, fun. There was a, 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 a kind of an ice storm and a snow right before <laughs> uh, the holidays here. So we had a white Christmas, which is somewhat uh -huh. unusual in my part of the country. But uh, yeah. but it was it was fun. And your part of the country is? I'm in Kentucky. Uh, I kind of mm -hmm. split time between Louisville and Lexington, which are about an hour and 15 minutes apart. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, we're in the bluegrass state, which is kind of right in the middle of kind of the, um, sort of mid Eastern part of the States. It's a yeah. few hours inland from the Atlantic ocean, but not quite all the way to the plains or the Rockies. All right. 
Oh, I love it. Yeah, and we had you on episode 95, did a little special. I really enjoyed catching up with you, Jason, and yeah. spending time with you. And you're, you are the central hub for our marketing podcast network, too, so we get to chat on a regular basis. But, Jason, if there is a chance that people haven't heard of you, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> well, I'd say there's probably a pretty good chance. Um, <laughs> but I'm, a, I'm basically a public relations guy by trade, but that sort of mm. evolved into, in the early 2000s, I landed at an advertising agency in a lot of a lot of brands there were wanting to you know sort of sniff into blogs and social networks and social media and I had done all of that as a hobby kind of on the side and so I found yeah. myself in in the unique position of having knowledge of something that our clients wanted and so I kind of landed in a really nice spot and started doing social media strategy for folks um, and then uh, as part of that built my own blog called Social Media Explorer which wound up being a pretty big deal for yeah. a few years. Um, and then I've kind of gone back and forth from agency to agency over the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so. Um, and then most recently jumped out into the software side, uh, on the brand side of things, uh, kind of more in your world than, than my former world. But that's kind of what I do. I'm kind of a social media thinker, talking head, podcaster, content creator person. Yeah, I, I mean, I've known of you for years, I mean, through social media examiner and stuff. So I was delighted when we got to meet and chat and be involved with you on Marketing Podcast Network. I think it's excellent. And I'll ask you about your book and your podcast in a sure. moment. But absolutely, that caught my attention when you moved into my world, Jason. <laughs> I worry about the rest of us. No, you're now the EVP of marketing at Scipio, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yep. Tell us a bit about that. How, what, what does Scipio do? So Scipio, the way that I was introduced to them, because my podcast and book focuses on really influence marketing, um, they, I was approached by them to kind of review their community influence marketing platform, which is mm-hmm. an entry into the influence marketing software space, but they had a very different perspective on it. Instead of looking outward at social media influencers, they started with the brand's community and look at looking inward and saying, oh, wow. who in our customer base, who in our vendor set, who in our employee set, who, who already do we already know that has influence? And that really aligned really well with my sort of influence marketing philosophy, which you'll notice I don't use the R uh, because I don't think it's about looking at social media influencers. I think it's about finding people who actually have influence. And so their sort of software was kind of this kind of unique manifestation of my own philosophy on influence Mm -hmm. marketing. So we started having conversations and it just – it fell right into place. It seemed like if I was going to make the jump to the software side uh, on the brand side of things, rather than being in an agency, it needed to be at a company that was building something that was aligned with my thinking. And it just made yeah. sense. What I discovered in that, that getting to know Scipio um, <laughs> over the course of several months was the community influence marketing piece that, that the software that they showed me that started the conversation was just one application in a bigger family uh, of wow. a platform that's yeah. all it's, it's applications built around driving what we call community commerce marketing. So it's anything mm-hmm. that enables the brand in question to tap into their own community to drive commerce. And that could be through user generated content, which we call community generated content. It could be through, um, you know, motivating uh, customers to incentivizing them to share content uh, on their channels. It could be certainly to tap into that community uh, of influence that you have already existing within your brand. So we're ideating and building more applications to grow that portfolio to help brands, you know, leverage their community for commerce. 
Yeah, well, so so sounds like you and were initially attracted to the role, or they they were attracted to you through the role because your subject matter expertise in influence. But it sounds like you're doing a proper marketing job there, right? <laughs> you, you're taking other products to market. So, and and I, I mean, as we've already discussed, I know you as an agency guy, speaker, author, all those good things. How are you finding this shift from agency to client side to being that <laughs> proper grown up marketer? Yeah, it's it's really uh, it's very different and and it's very interesting and we. Are are, we're still a, a seed stage company, so we don't have a huge team. We don't have a huge budget, but that's mm-hmm. actually sort of right in my wheelhouse of skill set yeah. because a, yeah. apart from my my jobs in the past of working with brands and building you know strategies for them, as a content creator, which is largely what I'm doing for Scipio, is just creating content to help sort of create this new category of software and and educate the marketplace on who we are and what we do. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, am very sort of self-starting independent. I create stuff on my own. I don't rely on a lot of other people. So mm-hmm. in this stage, anyway, I'm very comfortable. Um, I wish I had a lot more resources, uh, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll grow into that. <laughs> and as yeah. we do, um, I'm sure that I'll be able to say, okay, now let's shift some, sort of back toward back when I was at an agency and with brands that had resources, how would I divvy that up? So I'm excited to get to that part, but we got to get there first. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's key, isn't it? You're a, you're a leading marketer in the business, but you're an entrepreneur and it's that entrepreneurness sounds like that self-starting, which is the, makes you the right marketer for that business right now. Right. As well as your subject matter. Yeah, I think, I think so. It's a combination of the subject matter expertise and what I've focused Mm. on for the last, you know, several years, but then also just my ability to, to crank out content. I think they needed somebody to really help <laughs> yeah. them tell the story. And so yeah. that's kind of what I do for brands. And so now I'm doing it for, for Scipio. Yeah. And it gets rubbish sometimes, but the, uh, and I don't know why, but the story, the content marketing is so essential, especially in a, in a, in a, in a category you're in, which is still forming, right? Is mm-hmm. understanding what's the difference between Scipio and the next competitor or social media listening or all of these other tools that sort of sit in that in that cloud, isn't it? You've got to try and get across, oh no, we're this. Exactly. And and yeah. we are and we're actually in the um sort of, I guess, enviable spot or maybe unenviable <laughs> spot, depending on your perspective. Of trying yeah. to create a new category. Community commerce marketing yeah. is not a term that people are familiar with. They they mm-hmm. they understand what community commerce is because we've talked about, okay, well, that's using social media channels to drive mm-hmm. commerce. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But community commerce marketing is a new, I think, a very new and exciting uh, marketing strategy and also a mm-hmm. uh, marketing automation approach uh, in some ways where you're trying to figure out, okay, how can we efficiently use our community to drive commerce? And there's a yeah. lot of different answers to that question. And it's not just driving sales. It could also be, you know, tapping into the community for product feedback and research and development. It could be a lot of different things. And so being able to create a category uh, of software and marketing automation solutions and whatnot and define what that is, is an, an interesting challenge. And you've got to be able, you're right, to tell that story and say, hey, it's kind of like it's kind of yeah. like so, uh, influencer marketing software, but it's yeah. it also includes this, which is sort of generative AI yeah. for your content. And it also includes that. Like there's lots of different yeah, components yeah. to it. 
Yeah, that, I mean, it's an exciting gig, but it's a tough gig because I always find that, you know, when you're in the category of one, it's a lonely place, isn't it? You need competitors and you need a market. So people identify and go, I'm looking for one of these, the thing you do, right? That's and true. whereas people may not know you exist at the moment. So that's, that's, that's really interesting. And like I say, the lines are still being drawn around your category, aren't they? Of whom does Very what? True. You know, Very I true. think that's exciting. Yeah. And, um, well, back to that influencer thing. So I know you as the influence guy, right? I'm not going to say influencer because I know that's wrong. <laughs> influence guy, yeah. You're the, you're the founder of the Marketing Podcast Network that we talked about, and you have your own show on that network called Winfluence that accompanies your, your great book. I can point to it. It's behind me, <laughs> but we're not on video. Um, tell us about your show. Tell us about Winfluence. So it, it really goes back to that difference between influencer marketing and influence marketing. Mm. Instead of, yeah. you know, the kind of the tagline or the intro to my show is do you want instagrammers and youtubers to talk about your brand or do you or do you actually want influential people to recommend your product or service and drive sales and that's kind of the difference for me it's finding actual influence as opposed to just social media influencers and so we talk about the concept of influence as a strategy which is far beyond social media it can be mm -hmm. um you know from a from a public affairs standpoint or a communication standpoint you know, political lobbyists are influencers. Yeah, and and yeah. I've always used the example, there's a, a local store here not too far from my house called the Parent Teacher Store, and they mm -hmm. sell school supplies and whatnot to parents and teachers. That's yeah. what they do. Well, if you're the owner of that franchise location here in Louisville, Kentucky, a, an Instagrammer with 500,000 followers doesn't mean anything to you because, yeah. you know, one-tenth of one percent of their audience is probably in your geographic area, right? You need yeah, to find... Right. The, the president of the local PTA, you need to find uh, school counselors, you need to find other teachers, you need to find people in your community that are going to influence on your behalf. And so that's a very different way of looking at influencer marketing with the, with the R. So we talked to brands, we talked to uh, agency folks, we talked to software providers, strategists, anybody that can lend some insight into expanding that view of what influence mm -hmm. marketing really is. Talk to content creators as well, because we want to get their feedback on, hey, how, you know, how do you actually persuade your audience to do things and how do you measure that so that other creators can learn from you and so that brands can know, hey, here's someone who might be, be actually influential yeah. as opposed to just an influencer. Yeah, it's it's relevance versus the numbers in the typical thing with marketers, isn't it? That you've got to move away from that vanity of size of audience to being really focused on on and, and also I think this really ties back I mean, obviously it does. You know the connection between this and Scipio, right? Is mm -hmm. when I was listening to describe Scipio, it sounds like, oh, this is this is influence marketing like serious right it's got it's, it's about the bottom line it's about selling products right which yeah, sounds yeah. like it well what a match made in heaven there so yeah well and 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 really the way the Scipio solution is really based mm -hmm. on the problem the problem that the market face places right now and this is yeah. true a uh, true across b2b and b2c brands is yeah. advertising's still in an inefficient way to spend your money it's still mm -hmm. not very effective at least in terms of click-through rates and things like that Consumers yeah. have said for years, and research has told us for years, that consumers buy from people they know, like, and trust. They buy from their family and friends, make recommendations. That influences them above most things other than their own personal experience. Um, when you uh, tap into a brand community, you're tapping into the power of word of mouth. You're tapping into mm -hmm. people who are actually influential because they use the product, they know the product, they're going to turn to a family, a friend, or if they have social media followers, that factors mm. in too. And they're going to make a much more authentic, genuine recommendation to 
uh, the folks that listen to them. And so tapping into that community, um, while it scales very differently than going out and finding a mega influencer or a celebrity even, it's much more powerful and much more cost efficient. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. And um, I would encourage people to listen. You can find it. It's called Winfluence, and you can find it on all good podcast platforms, right? And some bad ones, too. So that's, that's <laughs> yeah, it's out there everywhere. <laughs> and as we're, as we're stepping into uh, 2023, uh, what are your predictions for influencer marketing for this coming year? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, from a selfish perspective, I think um, you're, you're, <laughs> you're going to see this this idea of community influence and, and brand community mm. influence emerge. I certainly hope so, because uh, yeah. if it does, that means I'm doing a pretty good job. But <laughs> but I definitely think the trend there, the mega trend is that mm. brand managers have started to really call influencer marketing out and say, hey, what am I getting in return for this? What is the ROI? Which I always think is a bad question because you can get lots mm. other than money out of it. But yeah, yeah. what is my return? Is this cost efficient? What am I getting in exchange for this investment? And more mm. and more influencers, the people who have the followers and create really good content and you know, no mm. offense to them, but that set of content creators out there as a marketing pathway, they have learned over the course of the last few years I can charge a lot of money and I don't really have to be held all that accountable for what I charge. Wow. Yeah, and so yeah. you're starting to see the pendulum swing back and brand managers say, yeah, well, I'm going to look for a more efficient way to spend my dollar. My, yeah. my purview is, and I think this is what will happen. You'll start to see brands take a real hard look at who mm -hmm. actually influences the audience they want to reach. And I think the answer yeah. is family, friends, community members, and when you tap into the power of a brand's community to work from the inside out versus going outside trying to bring people in, right. I think you're going to see much more sustainable long-term growth. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that sounds great. I love that prediction. Um, and it does sound like this whole industry needs to get serious anyway, right? It's that you, you can't just throw the money at the, at the big influencers now. We need to get that return, whether it's awareness, whether it's trust, whether it is actually in revenue, then... Yeah, we need to, we need to be doing those things. Um, so and one one last question. I mean, normally, as you know, because you're on the show uh, on for episode ninety five, I ask people what they want to throw in our Rockstar CMO swimming pool, our portal to marketing hell. And when you were on, <laughs> you threw the metaverse into the pool, which is excellent because I just did a special on the metaverse last week. <laughs> what what's your view now? Are you still on? Are you still chucking the metaverse in, or have you got some new thing you want to? Oh, wanna I, I'm still chucking the metaverse in. I, I think you know, <laughs> nine months or twelve months or whatever we are later. I, yeah. I do think there's a lot of potential in the metaverse, but yeah. I don't think it is this, you know, hockey stick upturn. I still think there's a big yeah. gap between the haves and the have nots, the people who can actually access it. Um, I also think there's this, it's just like a lot of people think of influence marketing or influencer marketing as this kind of vague notion of success. I see yeah. a lot of vagary in the metaverse. <laughs> How am I actually yeah. going to get return out of that? If I'm a brand as a yeah. consumer, as a user, I sit down and I put my, on my Oculus and I go and I do a few things and I've yeah. learned and, and maybe this is my age. So I'm, you know, I'm almost 50. <laughs> so it, it could be that I'm yeah. just a little older than folks, but yeah. I found myself gravitating to basically 
uh, going to YouTube 360 and watching basically concerts, live music in 360. And that's mm. about all I do on it. I don't really go mm. to gaming places or any mm. of the interactive things because none of that in, 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 entertains me. It's always, nice. you know, weird people trying to talk to me. And I'm like, if I wanted that, I'd have stayed back in the old AOL chat rooms. I don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, we'll keep Metaverse then in the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. And uh, obviously, and when you were last on episode nine, it's actually almost a year exactly since I had you on last oh, nice. time. So I think I, I think we should cut that period down. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Jason. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, mate? I'm Jason Falls uh, everywhere. JasonFalls.com. Scipio is at cipio.ai if you want to check mm-hmm. that out. Um, and yeah, I'm Jason Falls everywhere. Windfluence is easy to find. If you go to JasonFalls.com, I've got links to everything. You have indeed, and to your book, which is excellent. I will include links to all of those things in the show notes. Thanks very much, Jason. I look forward to speaking to you soon. Excellent. Thank you, Jason. Fabulous chap. And I encourage you to go back to our interview in episode 95, where I also learned a thing or two about bourbon. And I will, of course, include all his links in the show notes. Right, on to my guest, Beth Torrey is the founder of Torrey Communications, which provides software and services companies with experience and expert analyst relations strategy and support. And as you'll hear, she is for me and a lot of people I know, the go-to analyst relations expert with a two-decade career that has spanned marketing, PR and analyst relationships for vendors that have been in the top right quadrant for their category, like Fatwire, now Oracle, Open Text and Cycle. I love catching up with Beth. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Beth, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. I don't know exactly how long we've known each other, but it seems like forever. So it's lovely to have you on the show. Thank I mean, you. it'd be forever for me. I mean, you're, I don't want to reveal anybody's age on the show, but it's, it's lovely to I'm, have you on. I'm that. completely comfortable with my age. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, All right. You, if you've worked as long as we have, you're you're definitely <laughs> worried. <of. laughs> I think the advice. I mean, we've gone on a tangent here, but I think some of the advice you're getting about LinkedIn and, and your resume is start dropping off some of the early parts of your career. I think because there's so much age, and that's a serious topic, and we should probably do that another. Anyway, Beth, I'm sorry, I've interrupted. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Beth, for the listeners that haven't known you for as long as I have. So I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina in the U.S. I am married with two teenage daughters. Uh, I started my own consulting company in January of 2019. So Mm -hmm. I'm entering my fifth year, which is very exciting. I've been doing tech marketing and analyst relations for over 20 years. Uh, (laughs) I did my first analyst briefing in 1999. And wow. signed my first Gartner and Forrester contracts in 2000. So, wow. so definitely was, a while. <laughs> yeah. Was that when you were with OpenText? No, I started Good. with actually Fatwire. I started at PRE. Oh, you did. Yes, first. you did. Yeah, but yeah. I helped build Fatwire, yeah. which is now the Oracle web experience platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, because I was at Vignette back then. So anyway, we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> My husband at Fatwire too, so so wow. we still we, it will it lives very very close to my heart. Yeah, wow, that's not anyway. Um, I'm also I, getting I can... my MBA from NC State, so um, so oh. hello to mm-hmm. to fellow MBA NBA folks. Um, nice, and I love analyst relations. So I'm so excited to speak with you today because it's a pa- it's a topic I'm so passionate yeah. about, and I love the AR community. 
um, the community has kept us going. I think it's why I love AR so much because there's a lot yeah. to not like. So <laughs> really, really excited to speak with you today. I, I think I think it's a, it's a I mean, I, I love the way that you've specialized. And I, I know some folks like that we both know that we've known for a long time and that have taken that path and are now the go to person for that particular topic. And I think it's a great I mean, it's a great piece of advice for people's career, isn't it? Particularly for their personal brand is get known for something and be that go-to person for that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't quite managed it myself, but I see a lot of people being very successful at that. So what what was your original inspiration when getting into marketing in general? I um, I graduated from Boston University and I had a, mm-hmm. a Bachelor of Science in Mass Communication and a specialization in Public Relations which is oh, cool. kind of a daughter to, to marketing. Uh, my first job out of college, when I graduated, it was a very rough uh, environment to graduate in. Uh, and I got a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second job out of college was a great job, um, an engineering firm with uh, a ton of PhDs from MIT. Mm-hmm. And super, super smart folks. Like when the Hubble broke, they were the ones that fixed it. And uh wow. And I got to work there in their marketing department. I did a little bit of public relations, but I really learned a lot about marketing, which I had uh, no no business doing. But <laughs> I learned some great stuff. And yeah. the one thing that I that I really held on to was that I actually love technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a, a great mentor there who um, would not let me be afraid of technology. Like it was Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Not kidding. One and yeah. there was no undo. There was no multiple undos in that. So wow. it was like we were working on like artwork, and I was like petrified every time. There's giant <laughs> files and sidequest drives, like. But it was something like I kind of figured out about myself was that I really enjoyed technology, and uh-huh. um, the company that the, my mentor there, Steve Ariza, had uh, had built a website for the company. It was a great one, and this is like mm-hmm. I want to say ninety five. Uh, wow. and I loved, I built the next version of the website. Like I loved wow. the web. I loved everything yeah. about it and I still do. Like, I'm still yeah. fascinated by how, how far we've come. And, um, yeah. yeah, so I figured out very quickly that even on selling the most difficult, challenging <laughs> products, it's figuring out how to connect with your customers. Like, mm. what do they want? What do we need to do to connect with them? And I think mm. that's where, where I, my passion still lies, even doing analyst relations. Oh, I think, yeah, I, I, I think there's a micro of, of all of that. All the things you just said, it's just, you've just got a smaller audience. You need to apply those yeah. same skills to, haven't you? I mean, so, yeah. uh, so let's fast forward then to, because, um, to, to you, to analyst relations. And I mean, you, you, you're, you know, you're my go-to person for analyst relations. Whenever I think of it or anybody says, I'm thinking about analyst relations, I always say, you need to think about, you need to think about Beth. <laughs> so, um, why do you think that, Analyst relations is so critical for B2B vendors. Well, first, let me say thank you. It's a, it's a very nice compliment because you've met a lot of AR people. So <laughs> um, I, I do appreciate it. And you can't see it, but I'm blushing. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I think AR is so critical for B2B vendors. Um, the surface drivers are, to me, the magic quadrants and waves. That's what mm-hmm. creates the excitement. That's what gets people like debating and, uh, you know, and, and generating, <laughs> no, I'm the leader. This is why. And, um, yeah, like these yeah. great conversations about what does it mean to be a leader? Yeah. Um, because if every vendor you talk to tells me they're a leader, <laughs> of course. 
<laughs> which is, fa- is fascinating. It makes her a very interesting graphic. Um, that's b2b that's b2b copyright in 101 first word leading (laughs) innovative um i think the real reason why analyst relations is so critical is sales yeah uh analysts are in your deals either directly or indirectly through research Mm -hmm. i think as we hit recessive times which i believe that we're in right now Third-party validation of your software and services choices is really important. Mm-hmm. And an analyst putting you in a deal or removing you from a deal is where the real rub is here. And yeah. when I I talk to vice presidents of sales and salespeople and anyone <laughs> will talk to me um, who's at the field level mm-hmm. has no problem saying to me, like, we're not in the wave and we lost the deal because we're not in the wave yeah, or we yeah. got this deal because we're a leader in the wave. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, that's just, the exciting part to me, right? It yeah. all comes down to sales. Like an MQ yeah. is great. What if you're a challenger in the MQ? Yeah. Are you in deals because of that? Like that's, that's a weird yeah. spot. To, that's a weird conversation to have. Well, that's, right? that's, that's been the challenge with some of the vendors that I've been in where, um, the in- it's a huge achievement sometimes just to get noticed by the analyst yes. if you're a smaller vendor, and then you're not going to be on the way tip of the wave or in the magic quadrant. However, not how good your product is that's wrong, but you haven't built that credibility, have you, with that analyst? Yeah. You don't have the customers and that kind of stuff. And so it's always a bit of a it's always a bit of a marketing challenge, isn't it? That you've done really well to get this far, but you're only seen as a challenger. And I think some CEOs react really well to that. Yeah. And are like, yes, you know, this is, this is a milestone. This is where we're going to get to. But some are like, it's not, it's, it it, 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 it looks bad, you know? So what's, I and mean, we didn't prepare this question. But like what... Expectation settings. And, yeah, yeah. you know, when you, when you really understand any of these evaluative pieces, yeah. and I can say like, how much of your revenue did you put in your product? Mm. your product score is going to be higher if you're investing a lot in it, right? Like if you're connected to your customers, if you're connected to analysts, if you're innovative, if you're pushing the limits and can show that through great customer references, you're going to have a good product score. That doesn't make you visionary though, right? Like that doesn't get you over to the right. So like the more uh, like expectation setting conversations we can have and um, kind of like, level check (laughs) i'm a very like straight up person and for every ceo and founder i talk to i talk to a lot of startups like oh we're the leader and that's why and and like i break it down like what do you mean by like leader what have you done for your community like there's a lot of ways to define leadership and you gotta like start to break it down for them and once you have like they it clicks then they get it. And then it's like a much more fun conversation and way to build, way to build a company. Yeah. And also when you talk to some of these um, startups and stuff is they believe they're the leader because they believe they're in a category of one, right? They believe that that they're (laughs) the only ones who solve the problem in this way. 
that's a hard sell. You need another, you need to find an yeah. analyst who believes in it, right? And I mean, if you're not a category if there's only one vendor in it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's a lonely place to be. You know, it's, there's no market there, right? So, and we've talked about that before on this show, and I've talked about that. Anyway, I should, <laughs> this is a, this would be a delightful rabbit hole for us to go down. I, li- I like this. But, Straight up. And the, the other, the other, the, the, I suppose I should ask you the, about the other myth, which is unless you're paying them, do you get the attention of the analysts? Okay, so this I have a very straight up answer for. I've been a leader in the MQ and a wave without being a client. Wow. I know it's possible. Now, my advice is if you want to stay a leader, you better start to build (laughs) relationships and, um, and, and do it. I think the analysts are overwhelmed. Usually analysts cover multiple categories. Mm. There's at least 10 vendors in each category. Mm. That you have to work hard to mm. be compliant with their business processes, which are pretty strict, mm. and generate excitement. Why yeah. should they remember you? What are you doing for your customers that that's gonna like spark some interest in them? Yeah. Because yeah. they just sit on the phone and talk all day, right? Like, how do yeah. you how do you actually like turn them on intellectually or innovatively that yeah. that they're gonna be like, hey, this is kind of cool. Like, tell me yeah. more. And if you can get that, that's where, that's where like you, but that getting that is, is difficult, right? Like people just want to do their like briefing deck and this, that, like be, be straight up. Mm. You really have to use some like PR marketing, like energy and passion to connect with them. Yeah. And I've seen the opposite, actually. I've seen the opposite where people have paid, but they don't, they don't. I don't want to say play the game because that sounds a bit cynical, but they don't try and develop the relationship. They think because they've paid. Therefore... So Ian, I will say that is a very accurate statement. And <laughs> more, the more sales reps I speak with, and like as yeah. I've gotten older, I think I almost have better relationships with the sales reps than I do with yeah. analysts sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I've started to hear them say, well, they signed a contract and they think that means they're going to get them into the report. And it's like, I think my next blog post is going to be signing a contract is there's no correlation between signing a contract and getting into research. Well, yeah, it's just not there. Yeah. But it's also like, it's almost, I don't know what the customer equivalent sales equivalent would be, but it's almost like paying for a lead and then never nurturing it isn't it? It's yes. like you, you're paying yes. for this opportunity to nurture yes. this analyst, but you, you, you've you got to do the nurture, haven't you? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And that's, yeah. um, and it's not a one-time nurture. It's yeah. con- a consistent yeah. cadence, even yeah. when you're exhausted, you know, yeah. uh, even when it's the holiday season, <laughs> and get to work. Uh, you know, we call it, um, I call it pleasantly persistent. And yeah. um, I'm a very glass half full person and yeah. it, it suits me this job because I can wake up the next day and, you know, motherhood is the same way, right? Like no matter what yeah. mood you're in, you still got to get yeah, up and yeah. be a mom. Like, yeah. I don't care what kind of mood I'm in. You got to connect. You got to book your inquiries. Yeah. You got to send emails. You got to, you got to keep, keep doing it as exhausting an uphill battle that it is, even when you have a good relationship, it's still kind of an uphill battle. Yeah. It's work. But <laughs> yeah. when it pays off, yeah. it really pays off. Yeah. And it pays off in revenue. 
And that's what we're all looking to do is to build solid revenue, to build a foundation of leadership year over year. And once you've done that, it's not as painful. Yeah, I've seen, I mean, I've worked at vendors that are in all sorts of different places in terms of Forrester Waves and Gardner Magic Quadrants from people that were leaders to people that where you became a challenger and it was incredibly exciting just to get recognized by them or it was their first time they'd engaged with AR and got involved. So I, 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 it, is, it, is, uh, it is a process <laughs> for sure. Process. <laughs> no, but it's work. Like, you, like, like we were just saying, it's something you've got to nurture. One of the things I wanted to ask you as well is, um, and also I should point out that we're recording this the Thursday before the holidays just to demonstrate how hardworking you are. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that you're super we busy. We both are, today. yes. We're, so. we're both hard workers. So, yeah. And about, one of the things I want to ask you about is, I mean, we've both been in the industry for quite a long time. And previously, we've known who are the, you know, you've had your tier one analysts and your tier two analysts. You know who you've got a brief. Maybe it's 10 um, folks in general. And that's kind of your gatekeepers. They, that used to be the analysts environment right but nowadays with the sort of democratization of opinion with social media blog posts all that kind of stuff and also i think we've seen sort of a fracturing of some of these analyst firms right so they've let people have left they've set up their own shops or they're just independent what what have you seen in terms of how that's changing do you do you see i mean one of the things i was going to mention actually sorry i'm a bit of a long question but jason falls was on the show and he wrote winfluence right and he talks a lot about B2C influence. So when I asked him about B2B, he's like, you guys have had it nailed for years because you've had to deal with analysts, right? Uh, AR is the, is the precursor to IR. Do you, where do you see that? Do you see that merging? Do you see it changing? I definitely see it changing. I do think B2C is just a whole different ball game when it yeah. comes to influence, right? Like I, yeah. I, I mentioned I have teenagers and I, I, I can't <laughs> Right. Like yeah. I am just my mind is boggled when with mm-hmm. B2C influence. I think B2B, it is there are more categories, like and there are there are there are more knowns than unknowns. Mm-hmm. A lot, you know, I've one of the weird shifts I've seen is like kind of SIs and agencies yes. becoming influencers yeah, yeah, um, yeah. at a very serious level. Um, yeah. I do a lot of work with some financial services companies and, and, and I've seen a lot of shift there. Yeah. Um, you see Deloitte becoming an influencer in some cases. Yeah. Uh, well, I just they, interrupted out. I mean, I was at McCann for a year um, in London at uh, the Mad Men and um one, one, you know, the, the, the WCM vendors at Korea and those guys were, were realized they need to start courting these agencies. And it was then they had partner managers who would then do that kind of AR role. I mean, yeah, they call it partner. I don't think it is. I think it's influence. Like you're it's saying. influence. And, yeah. and kind of I think the challenge, especially at a larger company, is who mm. owns that. Who's yes. in charge of your, who's what, you, you know, you're nurturing that person to make sure they have the most up-to-date information on yeah. the company, on the products, on pricing, on strategy yeah. and working that. Um, and, yeah. and, and I've always seen, you know, partner folks as a very similar skill set to, to yeah. AR because we're lifetime people, right? Like yeah. PR is very short term, but AR and partner are lifetime. We go long haul. We know a deal can take yeah. two years to close. Yeah, we're yeah. we just keep keep nurturing, keep talking. Um, yeah. 
So I, 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 would think, say I think who owns it is something to kind of figure yeah. out and be aware of. Mm-hmm. But even kind of like always talking to sales is just yeah. something I feel very strongly about. Yeah. Who's influencing your deals? If you have good win-loss analysis, it kind of comes up. But really, the sales folks, they know this stuff. And they maybe they didn't write it down right, like the person's name. And you kind of yeah. like, hey, who, yeah. who do you think was influencing that deal? And like, and you don't just ask once. You ask several times yeah. because their influence changes across the deal cycle. Yeah. I mean, it's Plus, different for like a SaaS product that has a, you know, a 12-week yeah. um, buying cycle. But yeah, for the big stuff, it's this yeah. digital experience transformation. There's a lot of influence going on there. It's yeah. books now. Like, do we have to influence authors? Yeah, you do. Like, yeah, this yeah. is this is our job. Yeah, well, I mean, and we both know in a, in a B2B sale, you've got a buying committee of five or six folks at least. And each yeah. of them may have a different influence. I might say. I mean, it, <laughs> the team, you know, team buying keeps it, keeps it fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and but I think I mean I've I've, gone, I've digressed and we're going to run out of time. Uh, but I, this idea about partners and AR professionals, the trouble with partner professionals is they're com- for commercial reasons, right? Rather than for influence, they're not they're not built to do that long term influence thing in terms of their comp model. So I see when I was at McCann, you'd see partners guys come in, and if they didn't get a bite, they'd lose interest in you, right? Whereas yeah you know, you, you know, with a big, big agency, it might be a year before they're doing their next W big WCM implementation or one of their clients says, I'm thinking of doing something. And then that's when you need to, anyway, I've, I've digressed. What I do want to get to, um, wh- wh- I think we've, we've kind of talked about the advice of people wanting to get onto the analyst radar. And I just want to say, I do, I know. do. You, so I will say there's one there, I kind of have a three bullet answer to this. So I'll keep it Good. quick. If you yeah, want yeah. to get onto an illustrator, like when do you invest in AR is kind of how I would yeah. rephrase the question. And I do yeah. get this question a lot because I, because of the, I do work with a lot of startups. Yeah. You clearly understand your differentiators is number one. Yeah. yeah. What makes you different? If you, if you're going to build a category, you, you better have something to validate that. Um, yeah. You have happy customers that are passionate and will talk to analysts. Because going there and telling them you're great, the next question that's going to roll yes. off their tongue is, who are your customers and can I talk yes. to them? Yes. Be prepared. Do all your homework ahead of time. Because if yes. you have to wait three months, you've just invested a lot of time and money and then you got to yes. slow, slow it down a little bit. Yeah. The other, the third point is the, is the most painful one that kind of comes out of my mouth. Yeah. AR is painful. It is expensive. Yes. It is slow. Yeah. CEOs and founders like never want to hear this. They're like, give me the fast track plan. It's like, I don't, it doesn't exist. This is, if you make the investment, when you, like when you, when you have customers, when you know your differentiators, Mm -hmm. it's a long haul, but it is one that will make you money. And I just see this over and over again, companies who do it right, who are not reactive, who are proactive, who are just constantly, updating everybody, keeping everybody engaged, understanding where the market's going and and being able to share how you as a vendor can lead a market, mm. then you're ready to go. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And um, yeah, no, that, that's great. And I think that that's, that's it, isn't it? Be serious and take that focus. And one of the things I also do is when I talk to marketing teams about personas and stuff, I always make sure that the influencer and the analyst 
are a persona that we're thinking about because they have different needs. They need different content. You're going to need to make sure that as a marketing team, you're supporting your AI professional like you with material like you would sales or marketing, right? Or a marketing campaign. Yes, no, very good. And one one thing as well I wanted to ask you about um, before we went is your podcast. You've got a podcast called Bendy, which I think is an excellent name anyway. Um, tell us about your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for asking. So during COVID, uh, I missed my analyst relations community. I grew uh-huh. up um, knowing some, grew up, you know, uh, in, in the work world with a really terrific community. Um, started with the Forrester AR Council. It's extended to, to lots of folks now. We have our own Slack channel. We have, uh, and, and they keep us going. And I really missed it. Um, yeah. And so one of my colleagues who's also runs her own um, analyst relations boot, a boutique consultancy shop, Wendy Schlensky, and I were talking and she's like, we should do a podcast. And I was like, let's yeah. do a podcast. So um, <laughs> I remember I'm an avid reader and Tom Wentworth, who is another friend of, of Ian's and, and mine, um, yeah. wrote a blog post about like how to start your own podcast. So like we went, <laughs> we read his stuff, we bought all our equipment. <laughs> And we are having a blast. We've had um, over a thousand listens. We really enjoy it. Folks who all over the map, you get some demographics when you, when you do a podcast and it's just, it's not just founders. It's, it's analysts, it's salespeople from the firms. It's salespeople from software vendors. Like people are trying to figure this out and they ask great questions and it keeps me going you know it's not a it's not a it's not a revenue generator but (laughs) it certainly is it certainly is fun and um yeah check it out i will do the bendy show i'll include a link to it in the show notes and um i mean i have a sympathy with that because i started this during lockdown as well i mean it's just it's a great excuse to talk to great people isn't it and have that have that interaction with your audience anyway to the final question because we're way over time now um we have a regular feature the rockstar cmo swimming pool our port to marketing hell where we throw all the bullshit snake hole and overhyped trends that plague this industry we love what would you chuck in beth Oh, I love this question. First of all, um, <laughs> I, I really struggle working with marketing. I will say, yeah. uh, I, I always tried to get my team to report to product because it was just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to take that direct to the CEO or get to product because here's I'm not what take I don't that like about so. marketing is there's so much politics. There's micromanagers. There's, um, it's not an easy place to work. And there's so much like division of labor and trying to use technology to solve problems that aren't there at every size company. I see it. Uh-huh. And it's just makes me nuts. Cause it's like, I, I just see the world almost more like an engineer, like just back me up. I, I got a goal. I'm going to go for it and just leave me out of it. But it, it really bothers me. I was at one vendor, a WCM vendor that, you know, I was there for seven years. I had seven CMOs. Wow. Like yeah, that's, yeah. That, that drives you crazy. Like the whole time you're trying to figure out, do I have a career here? Am I going to get let go? Yeah, do they yeah. bring in their buddies? Cause that's what happens. And oh man, I've been a victim of that when a new CMO comes in. And they bring yeah. In and it was like every year my husband was like, this is nuts. And I was like, it's nuts. It drove <laughs> me. It drives. It's just, it's too unsettling. I think, I think you're throwing in, I think you're throwing in marketing to our, our swim pool. I mean, you're throwing the whole lot. In. <laughs> yeah, oh my. <laughs> Maybe it's just the politics of marketing. I don't know. But I, I personally, 
I struggle. And um, as soon as like, you know, analyst relations is, is core to marketing and, yeah, and you yeah. know, the assets we create go to marketing. And then I just like, my stomach just tightens a little bit when I know I got to do the call with the marketing team and talk about how we're going to use the <laughs> asset and how much it's going to cost and how do we apply it. And then my stomach just tightens. Oh, how's this going to go? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Beth, Beth, I've been on the other end of those calls with you, so I'm just a bit worried about that now. <laughs> I wish you told me. <laughs> oh, that's, a perfect, that's a perfect answer to the question. I just didn't make a lot of friends in the CMO community. <laughs> I guess know your audience, I probably should have come up with a different answer. <laughs> I, I imagine that the marketers listening are probably nodding quietly, going, yes. <laughs> I could see that, especially the CMO churn thing. I mean, that's just a big thing in, in, in our line of work anyway, right? So I agree yeah. with you. All right. So, um, Beth, when somebody wants to know a bit more about AR and they spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, I have, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, mm-hmm. Working mm-hmm. mom is my, is my alias on, nice. on LinkedIn. If you, and I'm on uh, email, Beth at ToryCommunications.com. We, right. uh, we ran a Slack group for AR folks. It's only for AR folks, though, so you have to be in AR to be in the Slack channel. Um, yeah. So none of you marketers. Those are the top ways to get me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Splendid. All right, Beth. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to chat to you again, and I look forward to talking to you again. Enjoy the rest of your day and uh, enjoy the holidays. Well, I mean, when this goes out, you would have already enjoyed the holidays, so I hope you've enjoyed the holidays. And happy New Year. Thank you for having me, Ian. No worries. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Beth. And if you're thinking about analyst relations, I will include all of Beth's links in the show notes. Right, it's time to wind down the year with an extended trip to the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar as I catch up with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, over a cocktail and some predictions for the year ahead. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Well, hello and welcome to the bar and happy new year. Happy, happy new year to you. Uh, it seems you've got festive, you've got all the festive sound effects going <laughs> for New Year's Eve. You've got the horns and the tabernasters. I don't even know what that is. Um, but you've got, I should have done you've got <laughs> some great, uh, it looks like a big band over there is playing. You've got all, all kinds of things for the New Year's party. I'm very excited yeah. for that the virtual bar is festooned as it were with uh, <laughs> Eve decoration so yay um you know it so and here, here, here in the uk they there's a show on the tv on new year's eve called the hootenanny yeah and what you're describing sounds like a hootenanny i know you've got some scottish uh, hootenanny blood so that's a down south um term. oh is it yes yeah. here yeah. it is of course the <laughs> famous dick clark uh, New yes. Year's Rock and Eve, which has been going on yes. for oh my gosh, since I was a kid, ever. Um, yeah. And uh, but now, of course, Dick Clark is no longer with us, but and hasn't been for some some number of years. Um, so it's I, I, it's it, it ranges on who hosts it every year now, but uh, yeah, it's always got some music and 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 yeah. all of that, and it sounds just like it, it, when I see all those people in Times Square 
uh, gathered, I, I can't think to myself, like, I would never, ever, ever want to go there. <laughs> I, I have zero desire to be out in the throng of humanity watching a glass ball descend from a pipe. You know? I'm, I, I'm the same. I've done Macy's. Uh, when we lived there, we, we did the Macy's parade on Thanksgiving, which was fun. Um, and when I was a kid, I did similar to Trafalgar Square here in London. You know, everybody goes on New Year's Eve, but I have no <laughs> no inclination to do that again. Yeah, yeah. Well, All we right. have a wonderful cocktail uh, yeah. planned for New Year's Eve, and as you might expect, yes. it is a has a bit of a New Year's Eve theme. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't also I don't like champagne. Um, but I do uh, enjoy yes. Prosecco quite a bit. I love mm-hmm. Prosecco. So I have a yes. Prosecco uh, a cocktail, I guess it would be called, a celebration as it were. Um, yep. And it's a bit of, a, uh, of, a, of, a, of an offshoot of a classic uh, Aperol spritz, um, mm-hmm. which is a lovely celebratory kind of cocktail. And it's very simple to make. You just have a little Aperol. Which everybody has around the house. I'm sure you do in your desktop bar there. Um, And Prosecco. And then a little soda if you want. You don't really need to water it down at all, but you can. Um, And then a little bit of an orange slice for garnish. And then plenty uh, of ice on that. And if you just look at it in the three uh, (laughs) parts-ish, depending on how much Prosecco you want, uh, with two parts (laughs) Aperol. And then you just finish it with a little bit of a dash of soda and the orange to garnish it all. Uh, and it's that's it. It's really, really oh. simple. And the more you have, the easier it gets to make because you just start <laughs> guessing as to how much you should be pouring into the glass. And it makes a lovely, uh, wonderful uh, New Year's Eve cocktail. I love, it. I love it. And so we will end the year probably as we started it with me attempting to make uh, your cocktail with the, only the ingredients on my desktop bar. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the weird thing is, is in my office just across over there is uh, is a beer fridge that is uh, that actually has prosecco and all sorts of lovely things in it but anyway for right now what have i got on my desktop bar? so instead of the so i've uh, instead of the um apparel i'm gonna go with some um, some gin ah I've got some hendrix yeah. gin here oh did you put ice in yours i forgot about it you didn't put ice in yours, did you? Indeed. Oh, yes. Oh. There, there is oh. ice in this. Surprisingly, oh, with the uh, Prosecco, but there is definitely mm. ice in this. Oh, okay. All right. So I've, I've put some ice in mine, a bit of, bit of gin. And then I think um, if you're going to go with soda and Prosecco I, and, a, and an orange slice, I'm going to entrust the lovely people at Fever Tree to put something together equally as delicious. And they are big fans of, uh, of putting cucumber in, into their tongue. Ah, I see. I'm a fan of that. I see. And, and so tonic cucumber most being the most... of oranges would be the yeah. cucumber, I think. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The most English of oranges is the cucumber. Um, we've made that joke a few times. Do you think we should retire this joke officially as it's the end of 2020? <laughs> we've made all these jokes a few times. <laughs> Let me give this a try. Mm. That is delicious, Robert. 
I could drink one of these every single week. I think you, Thank you very you much. You might, yeah. You and what are we calling that? Uh, that is a, uh, well, there are uh, a number of things you could call it, but the Aperol Spritz is what we're calling it for our New Year's Eve celebration Ooh, here. Aperol Spritz, lovely. Very, very fashionable at the moment as well, Aperol, isn't it? You see it being drunk in all the finest places. Very colorful as well. It's, it's, uh, yes. it's a beautiful it's a beautiful color in, in terms of the, the, the Aperol makes it, of course, you know, an orange orangey red sort of color and it's lovely on a christmas nice. eve new year's eve winter night very nice very nice and um if we're not going to go to Times square or trafalgar square whereabouts are we going to go to drink these? well i think we have to be downtown somewhere so i mean as much mm. as we talk about how much we neither of us want to be in <laughs> the middle of manhattan i think it's probably important for us to be celebrating virtually as it were uh in some about- some some inside spot uh, where we can sit these things, watch the yeah. madness of the crowds, maybe hear some music, yes. um, and, uh, and and watch all of the festivities well, going on in the middle of Times Square without actually having to be in it. So, thinking one yes. of the nicer uh, nicer bars or hotels yes. in the in the middle of time in the midtown somewhere. Yes, that's what I was just thinking. Is it? I think it's the Marriott Marquis that overlooks Times Square. It's got a bar. And I'm thinking about four levels up from the Marriott Marquis, my friend. So, so, but of course you are. Of course you are. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm trying to think of it. Yes. Well, yes, of course you would. I'm just trying to think what does overlook Times Square. Uh, well, there's Saint yes, Regis is over there in that in that next oh, woods. Yeah. Saint Regis is a lovely hotel there. <laughs> we we obviously we we um we mingle in different circles. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be grateful to. I mean, I can imagine though. Can you imagine trying to get a spot in one of those bars? On oh my gosh, it's it's. It I'm sure it's impossible. Yeah, I'm sure it's. Know. I'm sure it's absolutely yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, while we um, watch um, whoever is replacing Dick Clark to uh, present the show through through the windows with these lovely cocktails, uh, and uh, we we idle for a moment and the thoughts turn to marketing. What are we going to be talking about this week? Well, it is the time, isn't it? It uh, you know, the, this is the time of New Year's predictions and and yes. see what's coming in the new year. So I thought we might share a few of our thoughts about what might be coming in the coming twelve months, and and mm-hmm. uh, especially in marketing and content and what yes. uh, what we see on the horizon. Yeah. So what have you got for us this week? Well, let's see. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the funny thing is, I I went back and I looked at uh, because of course I have. Uh, my my uh, my second job, uh, besides being marketer <laughs> here in the in the virtual bar, is to be host of another small little podcast. Um, yeah. And I went back and, and looked at our predictions from last year, and yeah. boy, was I ever just so wrong, um, so, <laughs> so wrong about so many things. Although I will say, one of my predictions was that Web three point uh, and the okay. metaverse would stumble, uh, and but. I then proceeded to completely uh, sabotage myself by saying it would stumble, but then get back on track at the end of 2022, <laughs> um, which of course didn't happen um, oh, at all. Um, yeah. But I did get the first part right, which I'm a little proud of. Um, I also yeah. uh, uh, forecasted that uh, a big tech brand, a big technology brand would buy one of the bigger media brands. And of course that <laughs> didn't happen at all. Um, that's not Apple buying Disney, is it? No, that's, you know, there's, there's, there's no reason to even entertain that one. 
And then there is, of course, uh, my prediction I had that uh, that uh, talent acquisition, basically the job market, was going to be the number one priority for business. And, of course, yeah, inflation saw to the better of that, and that one was uh, absolutely off the I table as well. So take yeah. these predictions as we discuss them with a bit of a grain of salt here from your virtual bartender because I mean? clearly I was drunk when I was uh, <laughs> making them okay, okay. first time. <laughs> That was a good night in a very fancy hotel. It was indeed. Just pick up on a couple of things. One of those things is you didn't mention the name of your podcast, which is, of course, is called This Old Marketing with Joe Polizzi. So I encourage people to go look for that. And the other one is, I'm not sure your prediction that about the job market. I, I still think acquisition of talent. I know that in certain places and there has been some churn, but... I still think that's one of the big things that people have, faced, have had to face this year. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I've seen that abate. I think it's a, it's a weird situation with being re- well, in recessions. You make, a, you make a really good point. Hire. Yeah, you make a really yeah. good point, which is I have seen the same thing. I have seen people, there's been a lot of opportunity. There was yeah. certainly a lot of opportunity that has slowed significantly yeah. toward the end of this year. And, and it gets yeah. to one of my predictions for the coming year, cool. which is All right. I do believe that uh, global recession, the threat of that, which keeps rearing its head, if you turn on any any level of yeah. the news, um, yeah. I think it may be here, but I think it will be much more manageable and lighter than people mm. are worried about. Um, yeah. I do think it's not going to be as as pronounced as, 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 uh, as some think it might be. Yeah. However, I think it continues to, and you know, we have a little bit. You and I, and and maybe most of the listeners of this show, mm-hmm. have a bit of a, 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 a lean toward the technology industry, anyway. And so, yeah. um, there is some. I think that'll be the harder hit industry from, and we've already seen that. And and to your point about the talent acquisition, what I'm seeing uh, out there among my clients and among uh, the uh, the partners and the other companies that we work with isn't a lack of thirst for new talent. It's it. They're all saying, yes, we need new people. We need new resources. We need good new talent. But the sort of hesitancy of the CEOs and CFOs to say, well, let's see where we end up financially first. So there's been a hiring freeze in many of these cases. And so there's I'm, I'm hearing hiring freezes until beginning of February, end of February, beginning of March. So I think the first couple yeah. of months of this year are going to be a little more struggly than others. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately by the spring, things will start to shake out and we'll start getting into a little bit of more growth again. And, and who knows, at that point, the, the talent acquisition thing may actually uh, yeah. come up. <clears throat> you guys, t- I mean, in the U.S., the economy tends to bounce doesn't it? It, it it'll it'll move move quicker i think than we see in europe so i i think that's probably a very good prediction that, that you guys will be back in growth in at the end of q1 i think, I think that's true yeah i think I, I think that's a good point is that it, yeah. it will be i think a little lighter here in the u.s because yeah. the u.s is starting to see the uh you know, the one thing that was really hurting a lot, I mean, because if you look, the one thing that's not hurting right now are corporate earnings yeah. um, and corporate earnings are doing well. And the one thing that was really hitting corporate earnings, especially in the technology industry, 
uh, early or excuse me, mid mid to later part of this year was the yeah. strength of the dollar. The dollar was just yeah, so yeah. darn strong, yeah. and I mean to the point where it was equal to the pound, My which day. was yeah. crazy yeah. in terms of making how cheap. You know, I mean, it was expensive to fly to London, but once you got there, it was really, it was really great. I, I think that has come off quite a bit, um, and we'll start to see uh, the dollar start to equal out a little bit more in terms of where it normally is, and we'll start to see some of those foreign earnings in from U.S. companies start to to, to balance off some of those balance sheets a little more, uh, a little more easily, and, and make those products and and all of those things you know more attractive again. So. So that's your first yeah, prediction. Yeah, I think, I think we will see that. Yeah, so that's your first prediction that, that, that we'll bounce out of this early, early next year. It will be shallow. Yeah, it'll be a shallow, if, if at all, it'll be a shallow uh, sort of dip, as <laughs> Which, it were. I mean, some people, um, my friend Joe, who you who yeah. kindly mentioned just a minute ago, his, his prediction on this is that we may already be coming out of it, yeah. we, that we may have been in it already, and that we may be on our way. Right. you know, up the other side yeah. of the, the yeah. downturn as well. And I think that's an interesting observation yeah. too. Well, that, I mean, that, <clears throat> that would be great. <clears throat> Look at us channeling our inner Prof, prof G, <laughs> Professor Galloway. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I don't think we normally talk about this stuff. But um, I, I also think that if we can get some glimmer of hope going and, and people start talking about it, that'd be great. Because at the moment I have a sense that it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy and that everybody's miserable and we're telling each other mm. how miserable everything is and everything's going to be miserable. So... I think right. If we, if we can, uh, we can convince ourselves for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We can see. So that's your first prediction. I like it. What's the second yep. prediction you have? The second one would be mm-hmm. um, much more marketing specific. Yes. Uh, I do believe that the U.S. will finally pass privacy legislation Ooh. similar to what Europe has had. I mean, yeah. Europe has so much more foresight on <laughs> so many other things that the U.S. does not. But yeah. uh, and privacy legislation being one of them. But I do believe it gets done mm-hmm. uh, in 2023, and I believe that that is will be one of the major, let's call it, I don't know if it's tipping point or certainly triggers, yeah. uh, that next year marketing strategy will be all leaning all in on lead generation, right? right? If this year was had a lot of brand, a lot of tone, a lot of differentiation associated with it coming out of the pandemic and getting more reach and trust with audiences. Uh, and then that was shied away a little bit as the end of inflation and economy is uncertainty sort of came to pass. I think next year is all going to be about first party data acquisition mm-hmm. and lead acquisition. It's all going to be how do we optimize our lead yeah. generation engine? So yeah. I'm looking forward to a lot of discussion <laughs> around how do we optimize the, the, the middle of the funnel, as it were, yeah. and for I, both B2B and B2C companies? Yeah. And I think even if it doesn't quite happen, I think the writing's on the wall. I think if you're, a, if you're a savvy marketer right now, you need to be focused in this area, I think. And you can't depend on what we've depended on previously, right? We need to change the way we think and start to really, really value that first party data, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I and I also believe that uh, AI and the current toxic freakout that the world seems to be having mm-hmm. about it uh, dies down significantly. Very much like what happened with the metaverse yeah, in yeah. the end of 2021 yeah. and into the early part of 2022, where 
every conversation at the end of 2021 <laughs> and all the predictions in 2021 were the metaverse yeah, this yeah, and the metaverse yeah. that and web 3.0 this yeah. and social coins this. I think we're going to see a similar very, very quickly quieting down of AI as a Excellent. as a worry and much more of a uh, functional use for AI yeah. as it starts to get adopted by marketing departments. And I think the real opportunity there that we'll see is not the things like chat GPT, but will be things like chat GPT, but confined to the learning models mm -hmm. of the company itself. I think the most, wow. the you know, most interesting thing to me about the AI is not that it can write a cute poem in the style of Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Um, the most interesting thing to me would be how do we give it the entire corpus of our company's yes. product manuals and brand guidelines and, you know, yeah. words that we use and acronyms and have it write our how-to documentation, yeah. how to how, have it write our technical documentation, have it write better instructional manuals. I think that yeah, will also, be that will be the early opportunity for real productivity with AI. Yeah, but and content. But also, it's a power of the chatbots, right? And and internal and external chatbots, like you, 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 you know, true enterprise search with a, you know, with with something like that that's well informed by every single thing in your business, right? Can you imagine that? Like enterprise yeah, content. It's like it's better customer service, yeah. right? It's ultimately yeah. better better experiences for customers who buy complex or more complex products. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is that your third prediction then? AI is, is going to become less of a worry. Well, I think it's associated with the first is that the, on the focus, yeah. I think the focus is going to come off this content creation thing yeah. and, and from an AI perspective and the human oriented relationship experience building is going to really focus in on driving yeah. better, faster, more, leads for uh for for the organization and what's gonna what that means the implications of that of course are that things like ad supported you know big branded mm -hmm. campaigns go a little bit you know yeah. south and and you know the the direct marketing channels start to see more activity than some of the bigger branded like television or yeah. those kinds of things i think we'll see a lot of consolidation in the media market especially in ad supported yeah um, as Netflix and Disney launch their ad-supported networks, we're going to start to see it more consolidation in the marketplace with uh, classic broadcast yeah. and other elements of uh, yeah. typical places where we'd see branded ads. Yeah, and that's interesting because that kind of goes to your point about privacy legislation. So do you think that do you think we as marketers are going to shift our our mindset away from everything that can be measured, which is you know marketing automation and and our, and our um, you know, that kind of driven advertising to, to the kind of advertising that you don't, you know, is, you're not necessarily going to be able to measure every element of influence from it. I, you know, it's, it's a great question. I, I think one of the things that I hope it does, this is a hope, not necessarily <laughs> a prediction, is that it gets marketers out of this myopic focus on personally identifiable information as the definition of first party data, right? In other words, if you asked me and you said, you've got a customer coming to your website, visiting your blog, clicking on your email newsletters, clicking on things that, you know, your social media, et cetera, what's the, you know, what's the first elements of data that you want to know? As a marketer, email address, title, address, name, 
those are uh, those are you know bottom twenty of the elements of data that I want. What I want is what are they interested in? What's the thing that will give them the most value? What are they? Where are they in their journey? What is the thing that will that they're really looking for that will solve the problem? In other words, the first party data I want doesn't really have anything to do with their identity and has everything to do with what they're looking for to solve. How can we? And have- I'm hopeful that that's where we start to lean in a bit on this first party data idea is much more on intent, desire, and value rather than trying to capture their name, title, and email address. I think I've started to merge some of your predictions. So the first prediction was the economy. Second prediction is the privacy legislation. Third prediction, AI isn't going to be such a big worrying topic in in next year as it is being talked about right now. And by the way, on that topic, right, my oldest daughter is in the last year of an illustration (laughs) degree right so she's got so they're seeing all this stuff and they're like well that's it that's the end of our world you know (laughs) the low level illustration stuff is going to be done by you know Dali or whatever it is called you know so they're they're, they're, yeah it's a very interesting conversation and I'm like trying to repeat the mantra of well you know yes the low level stuff may be being done by the robots but you're going to need to lead that you know if it's and but it's copying everybody's styles well create a style for it to copy that'll be your contribution to this world exactly but that's right i tell you um you can pontificate on podcasts as much as you like but when you actually talk to a practitioner and you know like a young person who's who's decided that's their career and they're in the final year of university then that shit gets real you know yeah well i think it's going to change a lot it's going to change how we teach writing that's for sure in in university i mean it's going to it's going to fundamentally change how you know, the, the yeah. when I went through university and high school, yeah. the the writing assignments were write a five paragraph essay on you know, the, how the history of, I don't know, uh, Charles Dickens and how yeah. he, you know, and it was the perfect, that's the perfect exactly. situation to apply an AI bot for. Yeah, yeah. Um, instead, I think we're going to have to start assigning writing assignments like tell me about your last five days and your emotional state and compare it to the themes that you find in uh in charles dickens you know tale of two cities and draw the conclusions right yeah yeah. it's 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 gonna be blog for five days you know give me a five-day blog instead of a five paragraph essay and and i think that's gonna have that will change the way that we look at writing because we're going to have to bring, we're going to have to work harder, right? It's, it's yeah. teachers uh, as practitioners. The other thing, and this is my last prediction, mm-hmm. which is uh, also related to AI and very specific, is I think Google at some point early in 2023 announces a AI detector for images and yes. text. Yes. And we'll start to update search algorithms to deprecate AI created content. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there's a little bit of that already happening, isn't there, around sort of copyright and things like that. And uh, but I, I think it's like an arms race, though, isn't it? It's how fast the, the AI improves to how fast the AI detectors can improve, right? Indeed, indeed. And I yeah. think there will be unintended consequences from that. Like, I think there will be some certain level of human content that gets deprecated because it looks like AI and well, certain levels of AI that escapes around because it 
uh, it doesn't, it's, it's good or it's been <laughs> edited in a, in a certain way to, to get around that very much like most Google algorithmic things. It's, it's not meant to capture everything. It's meant to capture the 80 or 85% of things. So yeah, well, it's, there will it's, absolutely be exceptions to that rule. <laughs> yeah, I made, I made a joke. Was it on LinkedIn? I can't remember. One of, one of the things that, that um, I think that'll probably rule out most B2B content. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. This was written had by a, a robot. Had a, had, a, had a wonderful point about that. He said, you know, if you're scared of, if you're in B2B marketing and you're scared that AI, generative yeah. AI is going to take your job, it says yeah. more about the quality of your writing than it does yeah. about the quality of the technology. Yeah. Absolutely. And I also, um, to your point about the education system, I think that, that there's a fundament there, which is what are we, what are we teaching our kids to do, right? Is if, it, right. It, it, you know, it, we're going to need to teach them different skills, like you say, and what is the education system for? I mean, if it's to, if it's to write by rote, then it's probably not working anyway, right? It's not the AI. Right. Well, we serve, you know, we, universities and teaching kids yeah. survived digital photography it survived photoshop it survived the word processor i remember in the early way back i remember how uh words processors were considered a cheat yeah and yeah, yeah. you had to submit your stuff in on typewriters yeah. because word processors were considered a bit of a cheat in terms of how you put together your uh your 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 papers yeah and well, also yeah, you know, yeah, back, we survived all of that. We will survive AI, generative AI as well. Yeah, yeah. And then back to the back to the conversation about my daughter. The part of that conversation was, I mean, she's doing her illustrations using an iPad, using you know the latest tools. And I'm like, at what point, you know, this is just another tool. Of what you know, there are people that are going to look at what you're doing, going, that's cheating. So yeah, I think that's yeah, it's a really interesting. Yeah, point. well, I and, and in fact, when I when I wrote about this, I I, yeah. I asked that very question. I said, if there is a, if there is a, you know, if I have a tool, mm -hmm. an electronic tool that I can use a mouse and a keyboard to type in things uh, that get me pictures, words, etc., at a faster, more artistic skill because the paintbrush paints in a certain way or the mouse movement is much easier than learning how to do paintbrush or it automatically keeps me coloring within the lines because the technology allows for that and makes me a better artist a better writer because of it grammarly for example yeah. makes me a better writer because yeah. of that what does it cross the line when i don't have to use the keyboard and the mouse anymore when i can just tell it to do that in other words if i just tell photoshop to fill in that circle with yeah. red and build me a, a the shape of a horse because yeah. I want to I want to I want to draw a horse is that the line it's of course it's not right it's 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 how assistive is the technology to getting to and and our ideas of originality and all those things so it to your point it's just another tool that helps us yeah. eliminate or uh enhance a capability that we already have absolutely i mean if you when you do your weekly um post on the cmi content for example where does all the time go it goes in the idea doesn't it, it goes in the That's inspiration right. it goes in the structure it goes in the it would go if you were going to ask a machine to write it for you you'd have to do a bunch of work ahead of time to know what questions to ask right that's right it's why i believe that and and that's such a great point because yeah. it's why i believe so many of the 
AI companies that are coming out right now are so flawed in their messaging because mm. what they're doing is they're coming out and saying it's magic, right? It's this magic, <laughs> wonderful thing that we have, and you can have it too. And or or they say or get out of the drudgery, right? It, they're yeah. they're and here's the thing: every content creator I know doesn't look at coming up with ideas or the writing process as either drudgery or particularly magical. It is this thing that we do. It is part of the process. And so taking that away from them isn't, shouldn't be the message. It should be, how do I help you be more magical? How do I help you be more of what you are? That's the, that's the messaging that they should be using. Absolutely. But also, I mean, you might as well have, I mean, I made the joke about B2B content, you know, just, just now, but if you're, if you're that, if you're that marketer that just thinks they need a blog post of a certain length about a certain topic and you don't give a fuck who writes it, you might, you know, you might as well use a, a um, chat GPT oh, indeed. And, yeah, and just indeed. create the generic shit everybody else is doing. There's no, you know, what's the point? It's, it's that good stuff that you won't get through that, isn't it? It's absolutely the absolutely yeah. right. Love that. All right. So if people are looking for the good stuff, Robert, that's not written by a robot, or at least uh, I don't think you're a robot, where would they find that? Well, they're not going to find it with me. Um, <laughs> I write mediocre things uh, from time to time. And when I do write the mediocre things. Lovingly mediocre. <laughs> yes. If you want mediocre thoughts on things mm-hmm. like marketing, technology, uh, customer experience, well, there's our own little website, which is contentadvisory.net. But I also, mm-hmm. of course, do write quite a bit over at contentmarketinginstitute.com. Yes. And then there's also your podcast, which we mentioned earlier, which is this old marketing. Uh, uh, again, yet another mediocre channel. Yes. To listen to two chuckleheads <laughs> talking about the news. I, don't, I would know very little about American football unless I listened to that show. So I'm, I'm delighted with that. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it is a good education on that. I will tell you, 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 will, you will learn a lot about the Dallas Cowboys and the Cleveland Browns. That is for sure. <laughs> All right. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, they will find me mostly on LinkedIn these days. I am still mm-hmm. paused on uh, on Elon's circus yeah. uh, uh, on the former Bird app. Um, yeah. So I am doubling down in 2023 on my usage of LinkedIn. And I have to tell you, it's getting a little exciting over on Mastodon. Yeah. I'm I'm enjoying. I'm literally in the last two weeks, I've gotten more connections on Mastodon than I've gotten in the last four weeks. So yeah. it's it's Good. it's heating up. And so yeah. we'll see if it survives. We'll see if Mastodon is something that people latch on to. I have my doubts about it, just given the model of it, but uh, it, it we'll see. And I'm, but I'm enjoying it very much. Yeah, and I and I know that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you've got your invite to post yet, but I've been looking at that too. And it's hard to know who's going to win out on this. Who will be the new Twitter, or if that exists? I mean, I'm. I'm finding LinkedIn to be the new Twitter, to be honest, the same as you. Right? There seems to be so much more engagement happening over there at the moment. So, Yes. All right. Splendid. And uh, so happy to New Year to you this evening, my happy friend. I hope you have a, great, have a great one. And I look forward to speaking to you in 2023. And on Absolutely. that point, will you be in the bar next week? I will indeed. Uh, kicking off a brand new year with some brand new mediocre thoughts. <laughs> I look forward to it. Mate. I'll see you there. Thank you, Robert. What do you think 2023 has in store for marketing? Let us know. Do you know where to find us? 
So that's a wrap on episode 147 of the Rockstar CMO Epic Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jason, Beth and Robert for sharing their insight and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Please let us know what you think on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO just about everywhere or leave a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff Clark is back from holiday in the marketing studio. I go backstage with fellow MPN podcaster Matt Bailey for an interesting chat about marketing education. And we'll have our first trip of the new year to the virtual bar with Robert Rose. Until then, Happy New Year. And I hope you again join us here next week. In fact, next year on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.